last week, <clears throat> we looked at transformation through passion. Rolling right off the heels of uh, wisdom, which is Christ and his crucifixion. Then we learned about his passion and his love for us. We discussed how important it is for us to reveal our passion, to break open alabaster boxes that we've kept for him, to pour it on his feet in tears and oil, that our passion in return is to reflect and understand exactly why Christ was here, to receive his crucifixion as something we hold dear in our hearts, and to understand our responsibility as believers to reflect that passion that we have received from him back to him and back to others. Amen? Amen, amen. amen. Today, in true God's sovereignty form, I could not have planned this better nor did I look at a calendar in preparation. Uh, but three years ago, on this very day, in this very room, uh, we, laid, we laid Mother Hudson to rest. Yeah. And only God could have kept us and keep us through it. <laughs> so those of you that never had an opportunity to meet her, she was an amazing woman. Far more fun than me. More giving than anyone would ever know. And the epitome of love and sacrifice. She was a mother to many. <laughs> and definitely the mother in this house. She was a young feisty mother. Not quite old enough to be on the mother's board, but who gonna check her? <laughs> If you the mama's, if you the pastor's mama, you already on the mother's board. That's just, that's just a fact. Um, yeah, but three years ago, on this very day in this very room, one of the hardest days of my life, and the hardest for our family, the hardest for our church, eyes filled with tears and dread. But it was three years ago on this very day, in this very room. So today, as the Lord would have it, we are going to discuss reformation through a broken heart. Wow. I could not, I could not have planned this. I just couldn't have. And throughout the week when I started to study, I kept thinking, well, are we going to look at broken hearts like relationships? People getting breakups. You know, some of y'all broke up with folk and... You know, and I was like, you know, writing notes on that. And then I was looking at scripture, you know, trying to see all the brokenhearted people like Hannah and, 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 and Esther and, and different ones and, uh, you know, Rizpah. You know, I mean, some true brokenhearted stories. And I was like, oh, this is so sad, but I do not see how it was relevant. And it was not. All along, I knew what the ninth was, but it wasn't until 11 o'clock p.m. on Saturday night that I connect the two. Like that was one thing over here and one thing over there. And the Lord made sure I did not connect them until late on Saturday. 
So it is my humble task that we discuss how God changes us and reforms us through a broken heart. I mean, you got to laugh to stop from crying because he is, he's hilariously wise. I just would not have imagined. And when I asked the Lord, you know, quietly like, what's up? (laughs) Um, I already know that if you didn't think it was possible for us to preach this message, you would not have given it to us. So we will preach it. Amen. 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 We will preach it. First and foremost, for those of you that are unaware, maybe you need to put some of these scriptures and their countless others in a vault and keep them for yourself at difficult times. For some in this room, you are not experienced current heartbreak. You're not quite in it right now. Maybe you've passed it. Maybe you're through with it. Maybe you've got clarity on it. You've already began the steps of moving forward. To some of us, uh, you're still in it. It's still present. It's still aching and hurting, such as myself, on a consistent basis. Where your neighbors say, every once in a while, you kind of feel guilty that you don't remember that person that day. And I say, oh, Lord, (laughs) when will that day ever be? And everybody's process is differently. And because me and my mom were so close, um, it's not a second I could go through that I don't constantly think of her. And that type of pain is still very present and loud, very loud. So most of us are, are either past a broken heart, some, very few, currently in the state of a broken heart, because I know your lives. And then the rest of us are going to experience a broken heart. Amen? Amen. When I say broken heart, I mean at the level of the testimony I have shared. Amen? It's no need for you to try to go back in your life and to determine if this thing that hurt you so bad is the same as this type of pain we're talking about. Don't even do that. It's not necessary. There will be one. There is no question about it. You won't doubt it. You'll know emphatically. So it's okay for you to say, I have not experienced that as of yet. But as sure as the sun rotates and the moon turns and everybody, I don't know what other planets is doing, but everybody's doing something. We know it won't happen. Most churches don't talk about this type of pain in preparation. But today I want to give you a couple of scriptures to remind you. That God promises his care. He unrefutably, unmistakably promises his care. And when you have an all-powerful, all-knowing, all-sovereign God promising his care, you best believe he's thought of everything. Psalms 34 and 18 is one to note. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. He says, to those that are brokenhearted, I am ever so present. It doesn't tell us that we had to ask for it. It doesn't tell us that we have to acknowledge it. It just flat out says, this is where I am. 
near to the brokenhearted. There are times when people's hearts are broken and as brothers and sisters within the kingdom, we really don't know what to do. And sometimes the Lord gives us the perfect example. Just be present. You don't have to say much. You don't have to do much. You don't have to fix anything. But your presence adds comfort and strength to those that are hurting. Now, the tendency I have noticed within the body of Christ is because being present with those who are brokenhearted makes you so uncomfortable. You assume that your presence is not needed, not welcome, not necessary, right? And these are all just excuses you make because you don't like the uncomfortableness of feeling the same heartbrokenness that you might feel in their presence. But the scripture tells us to take courage. And God himself says that we are to draw near to those that are brokenhearted, not fall back in distance. Psalm 73, 26. David writes, my flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. David recognized that there's, there could be times in my life where my body will not do what I need it to do. And I am going to have to call on the strength of God to get these knees moving, this back up. Hello, somebody. He also says that my heart sometimes, it could experience times where it completely fails. I don't have enough compassion, love, joy, anything and everything that you would hope could come from a heart. Patience, yeah. kindness, tenderness. That your heart can be in such a place that you don't even distribute or display the idea that you are human. And he says that when my heart fails, God is the strength of my heart. Psalms 14, 147 verse 3. Psalms 147, 147 verse 3. He heals the brokenhearted. And he binds up their wounds. This verse puts that time of your life into perspective. There are parts of you that are completely into pieces. Those he heals. And then there are parts that are wounded. Those he binds them up, like wraps them. Now you have to understand this. The brokenhearted thing only he can fix. Yeah, come but the wounds are your responsibility to care for that bandage as he placed it on there. Yeah. This is where we start getting crazy. We assume that the broken heart in a sense, he can only fix it, that we don't have to do nothing to these bandages he's put on these wounds. If you've ever gone home after surgery, they give you specific instructions yeah. on how to handle bandaged up wounds. Maybe they might tell you keep it dry. Maybe they might say keep it covered. Maybe they might say change it every couple of days. But there are specific instructions that they want you to maintain while those wounds are in care. Seasons of your life where your heart is broken and you can't do anything about that, God is going to put those pieces together. But what you can do is check on your bandages. Make sure your wound is clean. 
not perverted, not corrupted, not made dirty from false lies and, and, and images and movies. Why are you watching some of the stuff you're watching? I don't know who this is for. When you know you're wounded. I can't tell you for, uh, I like cartoons anyway, but I would think for the first one and a half years of mommy's passing, all I did was watch children's cartoons. Yeah. That's it. That's all I watched. Don't change my channel. I don't want anything that is too drama filled. I don't want anything that's gonna make me think too much. I just, just, I just want to hear kids laughing and that is all. But you take your broken heartedness and because you cannot feel that he's put the pieces back together because of the wounds, you suspect that he hasn't done any work. When you go to surgery in your inner parts, you don't feel your kidney. You feel the wound on the nerve endings of your kidney. Hello, somebody. You don't feel your heart. You feel the nerve endings surrounding the area of your heart. Do you understand what I'm saying? But where the actual work was done and repaired, you do not feel, but you feel all the wounded areas as a result of that healing. And that's what you have to tend to. You have to give your due diligence because if you don't, then you get infection. Now you're walking around here diseased, pus filled, getting sicker by the moment, where now every area of your life begins to decay, begins to get sick. You had a job, now the job is gone. You had friends, now the friends are gone. You used to keep yourself up, now you're not keeping yourself up. Hair done, you ain't no nappy, curly, not combed. I don't even know what your hair status is, but something is going to rye. Now this is not to say that you don't have times where you can't do those things. But there is a time where you should start to try. Because true to any person out of surgery, now I remember I had back surgery. The doctor said, get up and walk. What? You cut my whole back open, removed parts of my body, and then sewed it back up on my spine. And you want me to get up and walk the same day. It seems counterintuitive. At the passing of my mother, it seemed like some type of harsh joke to say, now plan her service. What? Who in their right mind? You should not. This is some, did anybody check this method? I think we need another method. I don't know who came up with this system, but we just, I, I denounce and reject all forms of this, this pattern. Me and dad looked at each other like, oh. <laughs> Initially, there are times with brokenheartedness that the wisdom of God says you need to do something that you don't think you can do. Uh, yeah. And as you tackle this, subconsciously what you're learning is that your life does go on. Yeah. And that's the part that when you have to serve, you be like, I'm getting up to walk. You be like, everything in my body say don't walk. It all say, I'm going to rip up every stitch that y'all put. It's all, I'm about to tear it all up. And they say, no, it's fine. And you have to have the doctor's encouragement to say, it's fine. It's supposed to feel like that. It feels like I'm, I'm making it worse. It's fine. It's fine. Just keep walking. You can feel the skin tug and pulling and the pain. You're like, this can't be right. And you're like, yeah. unfortunately, the doctor says that this is how it goes. Yeah. And you look around and 
Find other people that have been through what you've been through and go, is this how? Yeah, babe, this is how it goes. So you, hunker, you bunker down or hunker down and you start trying to make sense of making decisions. And when all the decisions have been made, you want to feel like I can't do nothing but lay in this bed and do nothing. But you've already had evidence that you can do something. You've got evidence, proof that you can do something, that you can take care of your children, that you can go to work, that you can wash your hair, wash your bed, I mean, make your bed. You've got proof of it. So when you want to tell yourself, "Uh uh-uh, I can't, you know you're lying to yourself. You're lying to yourself. What you have to do is change those bandages, wash that wound, tend to it, check on it, look at it, be reminded of what God is doing and has done and watch how the healing process is happening in you because it's actually happening. You just don't want to look at it, but it is slowly, but surely it's happening. He heals the brokenhearted and he binds up their wounds. Matthew eleven twenty eight says something. Jesus says something that I think is crazy because in his entire ministry, he is going to those who are weak in the flesh, going to those that have a, a poor reputation, going to those that are diseased. They've got plague. What is it called? Not the leprosy. Lame, can't walk, blind. They're swindlers and cheats opportunists, people that not only are sick in their bodies, but the same people that throughout their lives have come up with ways to survive that they know is not right. And Jesus goes towards them. Every day of his earthly ministry, he's walking towards them and away from anybody else that think they they have it got, got all together. That's the part that I don't understand, because if I was trying to do some major ministry move, I would gather all the strong. Yeah. Isn't that what God said about kings when Israel asked for a king? Your king will gather all the strong men to himself. But look at Christ walking. He's gathering a bunch of people that are sick, weak, underrepresented, hello somebody, yeah. not known, hurt, busted, and disgusted. And he's like, yeah. This looks like a perfect opportunity. Yeah. Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, Christ says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Amen. In essence, he just put a commercial up that said, are you tired? Are you sick? Are you overwhelmed? Is the man getting to you? Call now, Jesus, come now, come now. You'd be late night watching that. You know, I am busting it. I do feel tired. I do feel overwhelmed. Mm-mm. He calls everybody to himself that has problems. What? If I know anything, don't call the people that got problems. Call the people that have relatively no problems. Because if you call all the people with problems, you're going to have to do a lot of problem solving. Yeah. To which he has no problem with. You're going to call all the people that are problematic? 
All the people drama feel. All the people with trauma. All the people with sinful ways. You're going to call them folk to you? You is asking for a headache. Doesn't even face him. He just heals everybody, restores everybody, and keeps on moving. <laughs> it would appear to me that the broken, the weak, the battered, the traumatized, the abused, it would appear is that his eye is fixed on you. And his heart is determined to heal, restore, and deliver. I think sometimes in the midst of your pain, you forget who God really is and the nature of his heart. But his eye is fixed on you. He's not just saying, oh, you caused it. Oh, well, nope. Imagine that. That even though you caused your own injury, he is still fixed on you and still equally as determined to heal, restore, and deliver. You know why? Because he's a good God. And he understands that the mess you got yourself into is only a byproduct of the world that you've been born into. And so he has grace and mercy and they abound towards you. He put on this flesh. He understands the pull and the pressure of it. And how without the spirit of God, no man could ever resist it. So he sees that. And even when those who know Christ have fallen short, his eye is fixed. That's important that you know this because Satan is a deceiver. And he will mix the truth that, yes, you caused the problem with the lie that God is not determined to restore and deliver. His heart is fixed. His heart is fixed. If I had to be honest, sometimes we don't even like God's eyes on us. When we're brokenhearted. And all of a sudden we have the urge to go to sleep. Go to the bathroom. Fiddle on our phones. Doodle on our pages. You understand? Don't, don't be looking at me, Jesus. Because while most of us receive that his eyes are fixed on us, there are times where we're so brokenhearted and we've already determined how we're going to survive this thing that we don't need your eyes looking on me, trying to change up the plan that I have concurred. I got a plan, okay? And this is my plan is how I'm going to survive this brokenheartedness. He's like, um... Truth of the matter is, God will break our bodies, break our hearts, break our plans, break our will. We'll be thinking, how could you do that? He's like, but I can fix and restore everything. It can be in a million pieces. It doesn't, it doesn't intimidate God. Hello? It doesn't. No, you just want a nice temper tantrum. When my mother passed, I tell you, there were times where I just wanted to have a huge 
tantrum. And I don't mean just by a display physically, because I had that, but I also mean like inside. You know how you start taking your soul and you start ripping everything apart? And what about God this? And I don't care about that. And nobody cares about this. And you just start ripping everything. And then I get right to something so precious. And I can hear the spirit of the Lord, don't you touch that. Don't you lift that. You've gone too far. Don't you break it. Don't you pick it up. And those that end up faring well in restoration heeded the spirit of God and made sure we didn't touch that. Because, you know, you ain't that crazy. Hello, somebody. You ain't that crazy. Well, I don't even care about God. Ooh, mm-mm, mm-mm, mm-mm. Ain't nobody that crazy. Ain't nobody ever knew God that crazy. Anybody ever felt God that crazy? Oh, you want to do this. You was messing. You was wrecking everything. You wrecking things that you ain't even put there. You're destroying things that was a gift and on loan to you because you were a steward of it. So now you're going to wreck the stuff that he gave you in stewardship? You done gone too far. And that's says break your stuff. Don't break his. That don't make no sense. Break your job. That's fine. But don't break them babies. That ain't fine. Hello? Them his. They on loan to you. Right? Hello, somebody. Break the house. Don't break that faith. Hello, somebody. He gave you that. You did not get that on your own. You're trying to destroy something that you didn't even give to yourself. You couldn't even generate. And now you over here saying, well, what if I do it? Well, so what if I do it? You're crazy. You're crazy. You don't even know how salvation really works. You don't know once that's always saved. Once you don't know if you're enlightened or truly saved. You don't really, you don't really don't even know. Because without the spirit of God affirming that in you, you have no clue. That's dangerous. I just like to have a, a personal conversation about the temper tantrums that I see that we could make and warn those who might go through a broken heart to know that there is a limit to what you destroy. Hello? If you were deep undersea and had yourself an undersea suit <laughs> and you stubbed your undersea foot toe on something and tripped, and broke your ankle. I don't even know how you trip under sea, but just, just, just go with me. Somehow, something terrible happened and painful while you were underwater. And you start picking up the coral reef and throwing it and grabbing fish like Nemo and just squeezing them and throwing them and kicking little squids like you so mad. See, look at that. I would never own no Nemo. Yeah, you would. <laughs> You've hurt many innocent people as bystanders of your pain. Now, in all of your erratic behavior, in all of your emotional storm, what you don't do is rip off the oxygen tube that is keeping you alive. And some of y'all is so crazy. That in the midst of your pain, you also going to try to reach back here and rip off the oxygen tube? I don't even know why you, why is you reaching back there? How about you don't reach, don't reach back there? And as of yet, none of you have experienced brokenheartedness that you actually reached that tube. But it don't mean that God didn't see you try. 
And this is your warning of foolishness. Whether you like the ocean or not, you still need that air. Deal with that when you get back to surface. Hello, somebody. Deal with that. If you got questions about your faith, don't rip the tube out. Deal with that when you get back to surface. Do you understand? Then go there, but you're trying to reach for something that you cannot repair. You don't even know if it's just deception that Satan is, is playing with you with. Because he also sees how God is so near and present. When God is near and present, then that means he has a vested interest in you. You are greatly loved. And if my enemy ever wanted to get to me, I'm pretty sure he'd go for the one that I am near. In times of my grief, when I wanted to reach my tube, I was like, I ain't reaching for that tube now. Hold on, hold on. <laughs> Everything is through the eyes of God. I'm just going to look at Jesus, look through Jesus' glasses. That never went away. It has in my past. In my past, I learned that's a dumb idea. So on this go around, I knew we can destroy everything else, but we can't touch that. Amen. 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 His eyes are fixed on you. And his heart is determined. If God's heart is determined, who could stop him? Amen. If God's heart is determined, who could stop him? Hello? Is determined to heal, to restore, and to deliver. He promises care. What a privilege it is to be in fellowship with a God that promises care when we are our weakest. When most would take advantage, he promises concern, action, care. Right? Nothing leave you when you got nothing left. You know, oh, you ain't got nothing left, huh? Oh, well, used up everything I can get out of you. Bye. He says, no, 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 no. I still want you. And you're dealing with the idea, but why do you want me? Because I can't do this, and I can't do that, and I can't do this. He said, it had nothing to do with that. I created you. I, cre I personally, says the Lord, made you. Apparently, I like it. I love it. I don't want to see nothing happen to it. It's precious to me. Even when the silly thing ain't even precious to itself. It's mine, says the Lord. And I've had some things that are stupid that I've lost or somebody broke. And for some reason, I'm still mad. Even though it wasn't that big of a thing. <laughs> you broke my pen. That's one of, one of, my, one of my favorite pens. <laughs> How could you? <laughs> and the only thing I'm attached to is the idea that it's mine. I bought it, I liked it, I picked it, it's mine. You were careless with something that belongs to me. Amen? So even if you don't see your self-worth, even if you don't see why God would even care to be near you, restore you, or deliver you, because, deliver you because there's nothing you can do. You can't do what this other person can do. And you can't worship like they can worship. And you can't praise like they can. And you can't even do this anymore. He says, that is not the point. 
I'm near you because you are mine. Now you a fool if you don't accept that. I'm going to tell you to your face. I'm like, oh, thank God, because I ain't got nothing. I ain't, I ain't got, if you ask me for something, Lord, I ain't, I ain't got nothing to give you, okay? My mind is so jacked up right now. I'm just going to sit here. But I'm so glad that you, you want me when most wouldn't. What most would bypass me. That they're so disgusted by the, the appearance of my pain that they can't even be bothered. I just, it's just, I can't, I can't, I can't. It upsets my spirit. And some of y'all don't understand because you're in a, in a house where the spirit of the Lord really does move. But I've been in churches where people are so spiritual that the people that need the help the most they distance themselves because of some type of spirit related to the person. You've never experienced that in this house. Mm -mm, mm -mm, mm -mm. Even if you had to leave, I was still, how you doing? Knowing full well that you are under the sway of a demonic spirit, careth not. Knowing that there are things that you say and do that are un completely uncalled for. And yet again, I'm going nowhere. People will say, well, it's a demon. It's a spirit. It's going to run loose in your church. Ain't nothing running loose in my church that the Lord does not allow. And if he allowed it, then we will slay it. And I prefer to slay it. I prefer to slay it with the person that also saw it. Us, me too. We're going to slay it together. If the Lord let us, let's take them down together. Hello? But I've been in churches where they sense a spirit on you and they want to distance themselves. That's a spirit of confusion. That's a spirit of uh, a lying. That's a spirit of lust. I done seen all the spirits that y'all have. <laughs> because if the Lord draws near to me when I'm brokenhearted, y'all don't want to help me today. If he draws near to me and I have his spirit, then no matter what's going on with you, I will draw near. You're just going to have to keep running. <laughs> I go a couple steps. You keep running. Keep backing up. In a minute, you're going to hit a wall. And that's what I'm looking for. <laughs> I'm so tired of chasing you. <laughs> Send the wall, Jesus. I'm just kidding. Am I kidding? Come in here and get this hug. God has a pattern, our second view of reformation through brokenheartedness. Yes, God promises his care, but even deeper than that, God has a pattern of using the rejected. Y'all don't want to help me today. Y'all don't want to help me. I can't tell you the countless amount of individuals that tell me that they deal with rejection. It's a big deal. It's a huge deal because rejection to them is paralyzing in their lives. When you've been absent of love and support, 
trying to get over rejection is more of a mountain than a molehill. Everybody deals with no. Everybody deals with not being picked, not being selected, not being chosen. But those of us that have firmly established either one in Christ or two, love and support as young individuals, we tend to take that like a molehill. Yeah. Fine, you don't want me. There's plenty of fish in the sea. <laughs> it's fine. I, I can't handle it. I, got, I can get another job. I got degrees. We can get over rejection relatively quickly. Do you understand? But those that were absent from love and affection have a hard time when somebody says, no, you can't have it. Not right now. That's not for you. Because you instinctively feel that something is wrong with you as to why you were told no. And since most people don't desire to give you an explanation of their no, you run with the narrative that something is wrong with you. Now, there's nothing I could do or say to give you confidence in yourself, nor do I desire to impart self-confidence. I desire to impart confidence in God. Because self-confidence is fleeting. It's based off of your bank account. Y'all don't want to help me. It's based off of how much you weigh, how long your hair is. Did you put your lashes on today? It's based off of everything else. Self-confidence is temporary and contingent upon you. I do not desire in this house to make you confident about yourself. Somebody said, Pastor, I feel stupid in this area because I don't know nothing. I said, you is. I ain't going to make you feel good about that. You do not know these things. You should know these things. And this is just the time to do it. Let's go. Yeah. Yeah. See, I always had love and support growing up. <laughs> so I have to remind myself, some people didn't have love and support. Then I'm saying, shut up, just do it. Just, just, just do it because I said so. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Rejection then becomes a mountain that you can't seem to cross. And you think the solution is to make yourself feel better about you. <laughs> so you go through this whole thing, you know, well, I'm going to shut down. I'm not going to talk to nobody about that situation. So, you know, that makes you feel better about yourself. You're more independent. So you don't look weak and codependent, right? I don't look like I need anybody, so I got to be independent right now. I'm not going to talk to nobody about nothing I got going on because when I talked to them, I felt bad, and they didn't want to give me the kind of attention or support that I needed to do. So in essence, I am rejected, so I'm going to keep it to myself. Make myself feel better because I don't need nobody else. <laughs> This is so false that in every turn you need somebody. You are just miserable, number one, and rude. You're going to need somebody for something. But you got it built in your head that you don't, that you're just rude about it. But you will accept something from somebody at every day of your life. If that person need to let you over. You don't want to wave. Because you was independent. You don't need nobody. I was going to take it anyway. Rude. You think you're giving off independence and setting up your life where you don't need anybody. 
But what you're doing is being ignorant to the fact that you do need people and there are people willing to be there for you and you are taking even though you think you're not taking. You're just rude about taking. If I had to be honest with you, I've seen it. I don't need that. I don't need them. I don't need this. I don't need that. I don't need enough of nobody. And meanwhile, you're getting stuff. Don't even know that you're getting it. You understand? Just, just taking up, hey, conversations here and there. You know, just da 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 And then somebody be like, what's up? You be like, honestly, that's why I even asked you for nothing. Whoa, whoa. How about thank you? See, I just want to ask people because then they think that they, they, they can hold something over my head. Hold something over. You see, if you're holding something over my head, it only works if what you're holding, I think, is valuable. Hello, somebody. I think it's valuable. But you're going to hold over the fact, Pastor needed me to come help her. Okay. <laughs> you know, the other week, Pastor said her account was negative, and I had to help her out of a situation. Okay. You got that off your chest? I do not mind you tell people I need stuff. I'm a very needy person. I am probably the most needy person in this house. But the reason why you don't like to be needy it's because you don't really like to give. You say you got a generous heart, but you really don't like to give because the only way that a person that is as needy as me feels okay with receiving all the stuff I do is because I also give so very much and I don't count it. I don't need it back. You ain't got to pay me back if I say don't pay me back. It's perfectly fine. I'm like, what? It's very clear. You do stuff for me, I do stuff for you. That's it. It's mutual. Maybe a season you can't do nothing for me. That's fine. I'm going to do for you. And to allow you to have your dignity when you are better, I will receive from you. For dignity's sake. Because people that are just rude will give to you. And then when it's your turn to give to them, they don't want to receive it. So who really holding something over somebody's head? You need to hold over the fact that you don't need nothing and I needed something, so now you're better than me. Now that's stupid. But go ahead and hold that over my head. I will still take what it is that you give me. And if you don't want what I was going to give you, that's perfectly fine. Hold that over my head and see how you feel. I care if not. The only reason it works is because there's something that you think is valuable that they're holding over your head. And the only reason that you think that's important is because you don't like to be needy. And the only reason you don't like to be needy is because you really don't like to give. For whatever reason, maybe you've been burned a lot. Maybe it's the times in your life you gave so much and got back so little. I don't care what the excuse is. The fact still remains. Because anybody that's been hurt giving, I promise you the Lord restores. You have decided not to be restored in this area because you prefer to control your own stuff. 
you had a taste of having control of your stuff and you don't want to you don't want to let that go now you know what I'm saying I, I feel like this is my money this is my job this is my time I got this kind of stuff I ain't got to do that kind of stuff like I used to do that kind of stuff no more see now you like that and when the Lord said eh, 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 eh. none of that yours it's all mine what happened to you like it being mine well you easily surrendered it you people didn't take advantage because you did what you gave the advantage you ain't taking from me. I'm giving it to you. Yeah. I know you lying. I know you sneaky. I know this ain't true. I know you, but I'm giving it to you. Yeah. Yeah. Sister Jewel asked me the other day. Can I use your example? Sister Jewel, Sister Jewel said, Pastor, now you know we, some need, we are some usury people. We're users. Yeah. There's times in our life where we are opportunistic and we are users. And she said, Pastor, now you know I'm a user. She did. She had it in her. She could see it in her heart. And don't act like you never saw it in yours. Yeah. Well, you'd be like, dang, I'm just doing stuff that advantage that advances me to my own advantage. <sighs> Trying to act like it ain't what it kind of is. And she said, Pastor, if you knew that I was a, a user type all those years, why did you still fool up with me? Yeah. And I said, because there's nothing that you thought you were using me for that I wouldn't have gave you freely. You using me for what? Baby, have it. And you have it, have it, have more of it. You want some more wisdom? Have it. You got some questions about your business? Have it. You got some questions about life? Have it. Whatever you want to use me for, you can have it. I was going to give it to you freely. God has a pattern of using the rejected. Matthew 18 and 3, Jesus is teaching and children are running up to him and the disciples are trying to stop the children because, number one, this is adult business. All right? And you little kids' minds, y'all ain't ready for this. You are taking up time with the Messiah. The disciples shoo the children away, rejecting the children's approach to Christ. And then Jesus says, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. You mean to tell me I've got to be a needy, helpless. Oh, I, I done hit words you don't even like. Needy, helpless, vulnerable, weak. Uh, none of them words we like. Unless you turn and come to me like that, where your faith is needy. Hello, somebody. Where your heart is vulnerable. Y'all don't want to help me. When your strength is weak. You ain't come to me with that kind of faith. You ain't ever entering the kingdom. You want me to be soft? Yep. You want me to be like, I don't know what's going to happen? Yep. You want to be like, well, what, what am I supposed I can't do nothing. Yep. I can't even fix this for myself. Yep. I can't even figure this out. Yep. I can't even do nothing. Yep. Nobody will even hear me. Yep. I'm too small. I'm too, yep, 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 yep. These children were rejected by man, and Christ called them near. 
and explain that this is the type of faith you have to have in order to actually enter the kingdom. If we all know that the kingdom is within and it's both here now and there, some of you have been living not in the kingdom because your faith is not childlike. You've got to know. You've got to see it for yourself. You've got to be able to figure it out. You've got to be able to have something in reserve. I can't, you're going to strip me naked. Mm-mm, I'm going to keep something for myself and I'm going to hide this. From my, you, you, you didn't even enter the kingdom of God like this. He has a pattern of using the rejected, right? Over and over and over again. Most of the stories in the Old Testament and New, the greatest accomplishments were those that were so terrible, so underestimated, so weak, so overlooked, so messy, so sinful, so bad. And they was like highlights of who God is using. <laughs> Moses killed a man. And we all acted like this did not happen. I'm hard pressed for a murderer to lead me. You have to have miracle signs and wonders. I need the Lord to vouch for that. All of that. It would seem to me that God should pick people that don't have that kind of story. That don't have that kind. Y'all don't want to help me. It would seem to me that God would pick people that don't have no past. Do you understand? That don't have no trauma. That don't have no proclivities to sin. You need to pick people that are wholesome. <laughs> that were born with a relatively good amount of discipline. Pick somebody that's good at reading the Bible. Don't pick me. I never like to read then. I don't like to read now. <laughs> and I really don't like to read anything boring. Hello? Pick somebody better suited. Pick somebody that ain't got a lot of confusion in their brain, okay? I can't even, I'm trying to, but this, oh, so, so many things. Pick him over there, he ain't got nothing going on in his mind. Who, me? God has a habit of using the rejected. He looks for and chooses those that are meek, humble, contrite in spirit, overall just broken. I don't, I don't understand this. You look for the people to build your kingdom with that are broken individuals? What? 2 Corinthians chapter 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, say amen when you're there. Verse 7. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7. Amen. So to keep me, this is Paul speaking to the Corinthian church. So to keep me from being conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in my flesh a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Paul says, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. What if the Lord is not removing 
that increasingly uncomfortable situation because he knows if he took that away from you and all the other gifts he's giving you, you would die spiritually from pride. I know the Lord sends me some of y'all to buffet me. (laughs) 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 To keep me humble, lest I forget. (laughs) He emphatically sends me situations and people that I have to rely on him for every word of wisdom, every word of counsel, every word of direction to humble me. And never at any point can I ever feel, because the cases are so large, that in myself I have anything that will benefit you. People are coming in this house that are broken beyond measure. We all stand and look. You, your brokenness looks at your brokenness, and I look at it, and we go, whoa. That's a lot of pieces. The only thing I can know for a fact is I've seen him do it before. And I know he will do it again. You're looking at these thousands of pieces, and I go, I know, yeah, 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 that's a lot of pieces. That thing is severely broken, but I've seen him do it before. And I know he will do it again. So you just think he might do it again. You just think, well, maybe because, you know, Satan got in your head. Maybe he don't want to heal me. Maybe he wanted me to stay like this for the rest of my life. Maybe, maybe, maybe. I know that he wants to heal, restore, and deliver. You think maybe I might be an unbeliever. Maybe I might stay gay my whole life. Maybe I'll always struggle with drugs. Maybe I'll always struggle with lying. Maybe I'll never have this because there's so many, so many pieces. I can't imagine this thing is not going to get back together and be better than it was. And I go, I know for a fact it will. I know for a fact. Paul says, I told him, my grace is sufficient for you, Paul. For my power is made perfect in your weakness. When you get to the point where you can't do it by yourself, you get to the point where you can't handle it on your own, you get to the point where you don't know what to do, where to go, how to fix it, where you're tired and frustrated with yourself, he says, this is wonderful. Because now my real strength could truly be displayed versus your strength. Versus, versus your experiences and wisdom. Versus the books you read. The stuff you've learned. This is now my strength could really show forth. You'd be mad because you know everybody saw these pieces that you was broken into. You'd be like, hide these pieces, Jesus. He'd be like, no, let it all out. Let everybody bear witness to there's a shambling mess right here. Just a big old mess. You'd be like... If you're going to do it and you're not going to do it quick, apparently, you're taking your time on this one, could you at least cover the pieces? Could you just cover them? He says, nah. Similar to Rispa in the book of Samuel, whose sons were hung, she let her baby stay hung without being buried for over six months. And she tended to them, swatting away vultures and bugs and bite, and, may, and she stayed there so that the power of God might be seen in his restoration of a foulness that was done to her people. Yeah. 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 Whew. I'm telling you, there's stories of tragedy and pain. 
I assure you, I've seen him use it. But in that weakened state, where she politically can't do anything, physically can't do anything, and her pain is up for display, God uses it to turn the tides of a whole nation, to remove a famine that was happening for three years, to add rain and food for generations to come, and to right a wrong that was before she got there. God says when you're weak, that my, my strength can be really seen. It's made more mature, more clear, more visible, more perfect. But when you are still thinking you got some strength, you still feel like you had a hand in this. You still feel, you know, I thought about it to myself and self said, let's do this. And you know what? I did it and it worked. I mean, I give glory to God, you know, but ultimately I did it. I thought about it. That's what it was. Everybody knows most of the stuff you try to give God, glory to God about, it was the stuff you thought of. And you just need to put his name on it. So he, so he won't be mad or jealous, you know. You know full well you did not get that from prayer from God. You got that from your brain. And you want to come up on Wednesday night testifying. Because mm -hmm. God gave me a job. Did he give you that job? Did he give you that job? You can't even come to church on Sundays. Barely could come on Wednesday. Did God give you that job? Did he? Or did you say, self, we need a job. And self said, we better get this job or we ain't going to eat. And then you, the Lord, what you need to come up here and say, the Lord has allowed me to find a job. My relationship ain't sanctioned by God. The Lord has allowed me to date somebody. Yeah, he's like, you can't tell me God said that. Mm -mm, mm -mm, mm -mm. The Lord has allowed me. That's the real testimony. <laughs> that way, when it all, we'll know why he allowed it. Y'all don't want to help me today. When it all falls apart, we'll know why he allowed it. When the job fires, you will know why he allowed it. When you lose your house, we'll know why he allowed it. When the, you will know then that this was not from the spirit of the Lord, but from you. And it's okay because those two things can be confusing. And if anybody that thinks that it's not confusing to know the voice of God from your own voice within yourself, you are a liar. That's why I don't even say God said nothing for me, for me. Somebody else can say it. I ain't going to say it. I don't even know. But well, the Lord told me he was going to give me that house. No, he didn't. I don't even know what he said. Miss Barbara said. <laughs> she did. <laughs> My dad and mama said, you know, daddy said, you know, I, I ain't say, I ain't say the Lord said nothing. Well, Pastor, you know, that's going to be your house. I said so from your mouth to God's ears. I don't even know. <laughs> I ain't stupid. Ain't no way I can hear that that clearly because I'm too biased. I'm too biased, especially if it's something great. Amen. So it's all right if you thought something came from God and you recognize it came from you. That happens. That happens. You're not Jesus. You just have his spirit, but you still very much you. 
You're still you, baby. I know you wouldn't think you was all spirit. You is not. You is not. You is not. Paul says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. He says, I will tell people I am insufficient for the task. Hello, sir. I will tell people I am not prepared for what God wants to do. I will tell people I've never been smart. I've never been bright. I've never been strong. I've never been mighty. I've never been successful. I never had the discipline. Never. And when you see that I never had it, then you can say, look at God. Look at God. Look at God. Look at God. It makes sense now why he boasts on his weaknesses. He run around telling people, I always made Fs. He run around saying, I used to be a womanizer all the time, all the time, all the time. She come back, I used to do a little strange for a little change. We be like, why are you saying this stuff? Hide this a little bit. He like, nah, let him see it. You know why he could do that? Because he was so sure of the power of God in spite of those weaknesses that he didn't mind if they were open for all to see. He didn't even mind. You can see all the dirt I've done. Go ahead. He was in, I was in prison. You was in jail. I did some time in jail. What? Should you not tell nobody? No, I'm going to tell everybody. Because you see I have a thriving business or Hello, somebody. You think I got a, a well-supported family? Hello, somebody. You see I'm being trusted in, in corporate affairs and, and finances again. Then you'll know, surely that was God. Surely that was God. First Corinthians, go back to First Corinthians chapter 1. Verses 26. Through 31. For consider your calling, brothers. What the world? Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many of you were powerful. Not many of you were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Paul tells him, I chose you. God chose you. Brethren, you ain't never been smart. You lack common sense, wisdom. You know, some of y'all, not me, yeah, some of y'all. You've never been that well known. You don't come from a line of successors of successful people. He said, and I, and I called you. Most people would have thought you were of no value to the kingdom of God. Because it took you too long 
to stop and it, and it took you too long to do this and, and it took you too long and, and you, 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 you don't even fit the right kind of mold that a real good Christian should look like. Look at how you're looking. You understand what I'm saying. You all out here looking modern and contemporary. You need to look holy and skirts down to here and that's what we're looking for. We have no dress code here other than decent. Just decent. That means undergarments, not seen. And what's under the undergarments, never seen. <laughs> other than that, it's pretty loose. Jeans, suits. We got people right now, to my podcast listeners, we got people right now in jeans and other people in full-blown suits. We don't even care. You wear what you want to wear as unto the the Lord, there you go. Hello? Amen. At least when you come to his house, let your, let your clothes be for him. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. Come on, see, did I hit you too low? Amen. At least when you come to his house, let your clothes be for yeah. him. Amen. He'll accept you either way, but just as a sign that you respect and honor the fact that he's bringing you into his home, maybe you should pick out stuff that he might like for you to wear. Yeah. I did the same thing. I was a clubber and realized all my clothes was club clothes, and I cannot go to church like this. And the deacons ain't even say nothing. They're just like, all right, sister. I'm like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> then I realized, you know, when you start going to church, I'll go ahead. When you start going to church, some of us, we, we just, we stop, we stop dressing up. It's like the Lord don't care. I'm going to just show up however I feel. Right? And for women, this is problematic because there are times we like to dress up. Like, if you tell me I can't really put together an outfit never, no time, I'm going to be sad. Whether I'm putting together a nice jogging suit, you know what I'm saying, with some socks, you know what I'm saying, got them all high, you know, got the logo matchy-matchy maybe, maybe a hat that matches, some Nikes with all the colors in it. I'm going to put some thought in this outfit. I'm, I'm going to need to bust that out every once in a while. Whether it's stilettos and a pencil skirt and a, a people a shirt with a little bop right there, you know, and a little scarf, a little hat, you know, coming in, fly. I'm gonna need to have some expression sometimes. And I realized that when I started going to church again, I stopped caring what I was wearing. Cause God don't mind. I ain't gonna put no makeup on. God ain't looking at my face. I ain't going to put no mascara. He ain't looking. I don't care about that. And the Holy Spirit challenged me because I said that the Lord was my husband. He said, oh, so that's what you do. <laughs> oh, that, that's the kind of wife you're going to be when, when, everything, when we all solid and we good now. Now you just, you could just fall off. <laughs> and then he told me, seriously, truth to form, he told me you do more getting dressed for secular events than you do I said, never will it be said again that I get dressed more for outdoor circular events than I do for the house of God. I'm going to put both time in both. <laughs> I'm going to the man's job, bussing. Going to church, bussing. Going to dinner, bussing. Going to Bible study, bussing. Hello? I don't know who that's for, but you better take your correction. 
Now, we understand that some days and some mornings, it's just not possible. Don't let that keep you from the house of God. But overall, we should associate you with putting your best forward in the house of God. At least here. Okay? At least. Amen? This includes bathing and hygiene. When possible, try to bathe before you go to church, especially in the summer months. Let's move on. He said he chose, God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not. Can you, did you see that? God chose the things that are not to do what? To bring to nothing the things that are. Do you, can you hear? I'm going to take something that y'all ain't even seen before. I'm going to use something that you ain't even seen, ain't even here yet. I'm going to use that to destroy everything that you do see. That was the flood. God said it's going to be a flood. It's going to be rain. They have never seen rain. We're going to flood out the whole earth. Whole earth. <laughs> Water everywhere. Can you imagine being Job trying to tell people that something is coming that they've never seen before? And that it will destroy everything that they do see? What is, what is so unique about this is God is trying to say that you trust in the things that are visible. You trust in the things that are tangible, the things that you could really see far too much, far too much, because I could call something that you've never seen, and it will destroy the thing that you think is most solid, that you think is most stable. I was like, wow. You be calling stuff that ain't even here to challenge the stuff that is. He has a habit of looking for the broken, the weak, Verse 30 says, and because of him, you who are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that it is written, let the one who boasts, boast only in the Lord, or boast in the Lord. Paul says, that God is doing this so that in God's presence, nobody could boast. Now, this is true. Because the problem with Satan is he decided to start boasting in God's presence. And you think that I'm not going to do that until you realize you just might. Until you realize you just might. You begin to give yourself credit for things that you should not give yourself credit for. You begin to assume that you had a lot more to work with than you really did. And the funny thing about God is he don't really say nothing. You just keep doing this until you're in the very presence of God himself and you don't recognize that all of it was from him. But people that have been broken and weak, they recognize it was all him. All him. Reformation through a broken heart. Let's look at the third and final aspect of how we are changed through a broken heart. One, we recognize that God promises care to those that are brokenhearted. Two, we recognize and see that God has a pattern of using those that are weak Vulnerable, helpless, those that are rejected, abused, misused, those who do not have a clean past or a squeaky clean past, those who have all types of messes in their lives and in their minds and in their hearts, and he looks for them and chooses to use them time after time after time. The third thing I want to look at is God's breaking is life-giving. 
Whether God sends a breaking to your life, by breaking I mean a breaking of your flesh, a breaking of your heart, a breaking of your mind, a breaking of your plan, of your plan, a breaking of your environment, a breaking of your home, a breaking of your marriage. When God sends a breaking, it's life-giving. Now, for clarity purposes, we will include that God sends breakings even on the ones he permits by Satan. We're going to put them both together. So you have to try to figure out, well, this came from Satan. So God ain't going to bring life to it. He will. But this came from me. So God ain't going to bring life to it. He will. This came from God. So God is definitely going to bring life to it. Do you understand? No matter where the breaking came from, we're going to say and conclude that it all had to come from him. Had to have his approval. Had to have his seal on it. Hello, somebody. If not directly sent to you. All right? Just for clarity's sake. So when Satan says, oh, he ain't going to heal and restore because he, uh, God knows that that was demonic, does not matter. Does not matter. Does not matter. Does not matter. Satan really the one that brought you down to that, that pit like that. Does not matter. Does not matter. All right? Are we clear about this? Because I know how Satan talks to you. All right? Does not matter. Okay? God still chooses and looks for them himself and What we're going to look at now is that his breaking, and all of those qualify for that, is life-giving. This means that the breaking that Satan brought you to, through lust, sin, anger, pride, selfishness, gluttony, right, deception, whatever breaking that Satan's devices might have brought you to, God will still use it to bring life. Whether you got broken because of grief, broken because of bereavement, broken because of loss, broken because of a a divorce, God intends to use it to be life-giving to you. Life-giving to you. This is a mystery. I invite you to come and take a look at. His plans of breaking will give life, and he'll take Satan's plans of breaking and also make those give life. I love it because when your enemy try to do you wrong, you just take it back from their hands and make it even better. <laughs> Come on, man. I could just see Satan like a little uh, imp on the playground trying to take God's toys, break him into a million pieces, then God take it back and then make it a better toy. <laughs> oh, now it's got two Nerf pistols. All right now. <laughs> How'd you do that? You know. He takes everything Satan tries to break and makes it into a, a million pieces, and then he takes it and makes it better than it was. Good. You can see that in the story of salvation, right? In creation and restoration, and us having glorified bodies, going to heaven and living everlasting. Whatever Satan destroys, God then takes what he tries to destroy and then makes it better. Yeah. That has been the sequence in Scripture all the time. The problem, why you don't notice it, is because you don't believe for it. But you can see it all in scripture, can't you? Can't you? Look at all the Bible stories you know. God does not change. So this would mean that he would take your broken story 
and everything that was wrong and everything that did wrong and everything that you did wrong and everything that was wrong that was done to you and every year you wasted and every time you didn't do right and all the tears you cried and all the mess that was made, it would mean that he wants to take all of that and make it more life-giving to you. We see it over and over again. The problem has been you've never believed it. In this current heartbreak or the last heartbreak, maybe you didn't believe it. Maybe you felt like this gonna, he's going to get it, you know, decent. Get me on par. You know, at least get me back to what I was. No, 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 no. None, especially if Satan had a hand in it. You best believe if Satan had a hand in what was breaking you, you best believe he's going to take that thing and make it better. Better than what it was. You see too many examples. Huh? Whether it's broken jars, a broken jawbone, broken bread, or a broken body. It would appear that God uses and uses quite exceptionally, I might add, those things that are broken. What can God do with a broken heart, you say? The real question is, what can't he do with a broken heart? It's limitless what he can do with a broken heart. My God, well, he delights to use what has been broken. He delights to display his power through what is weak to display his strength, through what is small to display his glory, through what has been shattered. He's, his breaking is never pointless, right. Timothy Chalice says, for he is neither arbitrary nor cruel. His breaking is never purposeless. For he is too wise to ever be wrong. And he is too kind to ever be heartless. The reason you don't believe that he could make it better than it was is because you don't believe these truths about his character. You don't believe these truths about him because you still got ought in your heart like every other unbeliever towards him. Because if you believe that it was purposeful, that pain, then this means you're going to have to move on. We don't like that. You ain't going to tell me I got to move on. That's it. That's it. Because if it's purpose in it, then that means you have to move on. You have to. You have to go with how God is flowing and allow life to spring up from that thing. Beauty from ashes. Come on now. Joy for mourning. You're going to have to let it happen. And you secretly don't want to let it happen because you don't like the idea that God would even bring it to you. And that ain't nothing but pride. Somehow you thought you were worth more than the rest of us. I don't ever think I was worth more. I've already been through so much. Oh, so now that's insecurity. Because you were abused so much, brought low so much in your life that he could not possibly do yet another thing. 
Fraud and insecurity, same, same. What God can do with a broken heart is limitless. Let me show you some more examples. Huh? Uh, Timothy Chalice wrote this book. He's an author, and he's, he wrote it better than I could say it. That's why I'm quoting him. <laughs> he says, it was through persecution, breaking a man from his congregation, that the church was given Pilgrim's Progress. Through a shipwreck, breaking parents from their children, that worshipers were gifted it as well. And through spears breaking men on the Ecuadorian beach that a generation of missionaries was rallied to the cause. It was through ravaging of Helen Roosevelt's body, the paralyzing of Joni Eckerkinson, Tadas, and the blinding of Fanny Crosby's, the, the imprisoning of uh, Marie Durand's, and the crippling of Amy Carmichael's, the slaughtering of Betty Stams, that countless Christians have received strength to sustain them through sorrow and suffering. The bones of Wyclef were crushed to powder and thrown into the river swift, but his translation lived on. The neck of Tyndale was crushed at the stake, but God answered his final prayer, and soon every, every lowly plowboy was reading God's word. Amen. The bodies of Ridley and Lattimore and Kramer were broken and burned, but the flames that consumed them lit a fire for the gospel that has never been quenched. You're standing on faith at the expense of somebody else's faith, knowing that God could make better brokenness. You currently, on the day that I buried my mother, are now receiving strength in knowing that God can take brokenness and bring life to it. You're bearing witness to it. See how the spirit burns inside of you. See how the Holy Spirit is igniting passion back into your life. On a day like today, not one tear has been shed unnecessarily that life and strength might be imparted to you. That you may say, even if you still got pieces in your hand, even if you still got nothing but broken pieces, dear saint, please know that the Lord is still moving. Please know that the Lord is still working. And I will glory in my weakness. I will glory in my weakness that the strength of God might be forever seen. Paul says, I don't come to you with words of wisdom, but of power and of spirit trying to preach to something that just sounds good you can feel it even though it makes no sense God specializes in using broken pieces you can run away from God with your broken heart or you can run to him I know it hurt I know it's hurting but dear believer you have the responsibility of not running away from him, but running towards him. If you believe that he is any of what you believe that he is, you run towards him. And if you don't believe it, but you're hoping that it might be true, I encourage you, run towards him. Because I've never seen that faith or that hope denied. Everyone that's ever tried to knock on that door, it was open to him. Anybody that ever sought him with a true heart, he was always there and revealed. So even if you don't believe, but you think it might be a possibility, hold that hope and run to him with all those broken pieces. Don't cut your lifeline now because you're angry and upset. 
Don't, cr- take, don't cut your life like now because you don't know how it's going to end. I am telling you how it's going to end. God will get the victory. He will use you to get that victory. And our weakness and strength will be seen throughout the ages. Your daughters and your daughter's daughters and your sons and your son's sons will be imparted with that type of strength that you carry. They will see you when they get older, now recognizing what you were going through. And they will see how you hung on to the altar of God, how you held on to the anchor of Christ, how you followed that lighthouse light. And they think to themselves, I've got to find Jesus. i got to go to church. i got to get in somebody's house. The only one that can help me now is God. The only one that can save me now is the Lord. Sitting, 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 sitting. God uses broken pieces. The last verse I think we're going to look at today is for encouragement. I know it hurts. In some cases, your life is so in so many pieces, you don't even know who you are. And every time you try to gather a couple of them together, it's like the Lord just smacks them out of your hand. Anybody been there? When you try to make sense of everything that's happened to you and make sense of everything that's happening now and, and make sense of what could possibly be in the future. And just when you start trying to put it together, he just smacks it out of your hand. And you just look at him like, what? I thought we was building something here. I thought we was putting something together. What he says is, we weren't doing that. On this particular thing, I work alone. On on this, this precious thing of life and faith, I work alone. Me, myself, I came down here. Me, myself, I made a covenant with me. On your behalf, I work alone. Are bringing life into your life? There's nothing you could do to do it. I do it. There's nothing you could do to aid it. I do it all, even with your resistance. There will be things I give you to do. Those are the things, says the Lord, that you should work on. But trying to put your broken life back together, that's his job. That's his job. There's no way you could put all those pieces back together. And certainly no way you could ever make it half of what it used to be, let alone better than what it used to be. Dear Saint, let go. Let go of your desire to figure out how your life is going to end, to figure out how much longer this test is going to last, to figure out, just, just let go of it all and trust God. Trust him. Submit and yield. The last scripture we're going to look at, you're very familiar with some of you, is Psalm chapter 51, verse 17. When you're there, say amen. 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 The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh, God, you will not despise. 
A broken spirit is unique. If, if, if man had to pick people to do something great, we wouldn't pick those that had a broken spirit. They ain't got no fight, <laughs> right? I wouldn't pick people that were weak, helpless, insufficient, confused. Nope. We intrinsically look for and look at people that we feel are successful, strong, smart, beautiful. That's what we look at first, and that's what we, that's what we aspire to be like. And if we're not careful, without the spirit of God, we will never look at those that are meek, weak, humble, and low. We will interpret their meekness for weakness. We will see their endurance as foolishness and their loyalty to God as brainwashing. A broken spirit is unique. A broken spirit is in essence the point of your life where you hit bottom, bottom. Bottom. Not the kind of bottom where you lost everything, although that could be a part of it. Not the kind of bottom where we had to start over, although that could be a part of it. A broken spirit is the kind of bottom you hit when you recognize at the end of this pit, you're down here going, what is the purpose for anything? What is the reason for anything? What, if anything, matters? Why do we live? Why are we here? What's the point? Why is it always so difficult? Why is it always so hard? Why do I have to keep going? Why is this cycle always happening? What is the reason why I got to go, go down and get up? Go down? What am I doing all of this for? Why? Why? What's the point? What's the point of going to work? What's the point of taking a shower? What's the point of brushing my teeth? What's the point of even trying? What's the point of going to church? What's the point of praying? What's the point of praising and worshiping? What's the point of it all? If you've never been there, you will be. And this is preparation for that day. But if you've been there, then you know that's bottom. You know that's bottom. And it's so dark, you can't see light if you try. You try to find a silver lining in a cloud. You try to find a little bit of happiness and joy, and it is just pitch black dark. That is a spirit that has been broken. Because you sit there in this pit of darkness. Anybody ever been there? Just say amen. amen. Oh, okay, a lot of you been there, okay. You sit there in this, in this pit of darkness, and you can't figure out why you got to get up, why you should get out. Now, those of you that are parents and those of you that are spouses, you might have an inclination as to why because you know emphatically somebody's relying on you, right? But the rest of us, I mean, what's going to happen? My life going to get worse than this? Ooh. You sit in this darkness. You can't find any reason to get up. You don't even know why you should. And you're reaching for so long that you just stop. 
It's in that point of helplessness, of complete and utter failure. You have failed in what it means to be human and alive. Like you can't even feel what it means to be alive or, or why you should, you failed, okay? Because humans live, all right? And you, you're like, I don't even wanna live. <laughs> utter darkness is at this point that you recognize I have nothing. My will, not strong enough to get me out of this. My passions, not strong enough to motivate me up. Huh? My wisdom, minuscule. I, I don't even know. Did I ever have wisdom? You know that wasn't my strong suit. Relationships, too distant. Knowing scripture, for some reason, the ones you said you were hiding your heart, gone, 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 gone. It's just you and a faint memory of who God is. That's a broken spirit where everything about you has surrendered and you sit. This is my surrender. <laughs> you just sit there shaking your head like I just, every thought you have is stop. Like, well, just, ugh. well, you know, ugh. well, I, ugh. you can't even formulate sentences. Everything just, uh, just what's the point? Just, ugh. you have no will. Nowhere to survive, nowhere to press, nowhere to go on, nowhere to help anybody, just none. This is a broken spirit where your will has been broken. It is something that God says he will not reject. That means you have a choice. You can take this and run towards him with all the energy and strength that you might have left or you could run away from him but the fact remains that that broken spirit he will receive it do you know how dangerous as it is out here to have a broken spirit do you know how crazy Satan is and how dangerous the world is to have a broken spirit? Do you know Satan does not fight fair? He doesn't care if your spirit is broken. You can sit there and do fentanyl and crack till you lose all your teeth. You can, be, you can sleep with everybody you could possibly think of, get every disease you could possibly think of. You can do all the dirt you could possibly think of. And he is more than able to help you and assist for every lewd comment and lewd thought that you could possibly endure and go through. You think because you have a broken spirit, automatically you run to God. Not in some cases. Yeah. You didn't intend to run to Satan, but you didn't intend not to. You made it plain you weren't running to him, the father. So what do you think Satan does? He offers you weed. And that weed is not strong enough. And then you got to get stronger weed in Georgia, you know. You got even stronger weed, and now they get, you're getting weed from suspect weed dealers. Oh, Lord. Now you have an appetite for something beyond weed. Yeah. 
Shvida, this little ecstasy, just a little ecstasy. It ain't gonna do nothing. Just a little, just a little, just a little mushroom. It ain't gonna do nothing. Go ahead, just get, get, get a little bit of this cocaine. It ain't gonna, it ain't gonna do nothing. Just a little, just you know, just kind of take you up a little bit. You know, bring your loads a little higher. And in that state, you'll try anything that will give you some peace in this darkness. That will let you watch this feel anything. Because when your spirit is broke, you can't feel anything you're numb and satan loves to take advantage of that you think you're gonna look at you and say oh did your mom die i guess i should leave you alone no not at all just oh are you looking for a little bit of relief why don't you escape life altogether just keep living like that numb to life just wake up, go to work, don't feel anything. But with Satan, it never just stops there. Because lawlessness produces more lawlessness. But on the flip side, life lives and grows to more everlasting life. What I'm trying to tell you, dear saints, is if you ever find yourself with a broken spirit into a million pieces, Run towards God, not away. Run towards him. Just by not running, you're still not safe. You offer to the Father, this is the scripture, it says the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. This is not the one where he breaks you for his own enjoyment because he doesn't do that. He says, if you've got broken pieces, offer them to me. If your spirit is broke and you have no will or desire, since you don't care either way, why not give it to me? Why not give it to me? Since you're willing to die and kill yourself, why not just come to me and let me live through you since you don't even care that much about life? He says, bring that broken will to me. I'm the one that made it. I made your will. Let me show you what I intended to do with it all along. Let me show you its potential and its capacity to love. Let me show you the extent of its generosity. Let me show you how it can endure, how it can be faithful, how it can suffer long. Let me show you what your will can do for the kingdom of God. But dear saint, don't offer your will to Satan. You will receive no benefit and only torment. Offer that brokenness to me. If you don't care, let me care. If you don't know, let me know for you. If you don't feel, let me feel for you. If you don't understand, let me understand for you. If you don't know where to go, let me lead you. Don't just hold it there as some precious baby that you own that is limp in your arms but instead extend it to me and let me breathe life back into it that's what the father wants to do for you today standing all over this house